0: Talk Radio. We cannot continue to rely only on our military in order to achieve the national security objectives that we set. We've got to have a civilian national
1: security force they just as powerful, just as strong, just as well
2: funny. Now, The other day, the oil companies reported the highest profits in the history of the world. I want to take those profits.
1: And guess what this liberal would be all about? This liberal would be all about socializing, uh, um, would be about basically taking over and the government running all of your companies. Uh, to that extent, as radical as I think people tried to characterize the Warren Court, uh, it wasn't that radical. It, it didn't break free from the essential constraints that were placed uh, uh, by the Founding Fathers in the Constitution. In one of the, uh, I think, uh, the tragedies of the Civil Rights Movement, uh, I think that there was a tendency to lose track of... The political and community organizing and, and activities on the ground that are able to put together the actual coalitions of power through which you bring about redistributive uh, change. They've got a chance of success too. I think when we spread up around, it's different.
0: I brought up the subject of what's going to happen after we take over the government. Uh, you know, we, we become responsible then for administrating you know 250 million people. I asked well what is going to happen to those people that we can't re-educate, that are die-hard capitalists and the reply was that they'd have to be eliminated and when I pursued this further they estimated that they would have to eliminate 25 million people in these re-education centers and when I say eliminate I mean kill 25 million people. I want you to imagine sitting in a room with 25 people, most of which have graduate degrees from Columbia and other well-known educational centers, and hear them figuring out the logistics for the elimination of 25 million people, and they were dead serious.
2: Situation report. And if you were wondering, no, Dr. Roberts' mellifluous tones have not changed. This, in fact, is a rather discordant voice of Sarge, his designated co host, or rather host substitute, for the time in which he will be spending on a glorious vacation, and he has entrusted the C. Robert Jones situation report to my rather eh, tenuous hands, but I'm going to do the very best I can because I owe it to Doc Jones and to his faithful listening audience out there to bring to you the very best show that I'm capable of, and I certainly hope it's good enough. Although I got to admit, I got to admit, I hate to admit it, nobody can do it better than Doc Jones, and he'd probably say, "Uh, you know, you can't do it better than me because see doc Jones is like he's he he was he was like a marine you know he was he, he is a former marine you know- n- you know Marines never say that uh uh they they are, are 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 over or anything like that they 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 say they're former marines they're not ex marines they're not ever there's always something about them that's always gonna be a marine, and of course he would never admit that I'd be capable of doing this show. As well as he could, because not only was Doc Jones a Marine, he was a field grade commission officer in the United States Marine Corps, and I am but a humble, doggy, enlisted swine. Uh, there's a few pictures of me in the Flash Player, if you'd like to take a look at what I looked like when I was doing that job. But I'm admittedly, I was a, a, a dog soldier in the United States Army. And, you know, a lot of people, you know, don't think of the United States Army is all that hot compared to the Marines with their pretty dress blue uniforms and their fantastic drill team and all that stuff. You know, and, you know, devil dogs and leathernecks and gyrenes. But I got to admit, I got I to gotta admit, even though, you know, the Marine publicity machine kind of irritates me from time to time, you know, I, I got to admit, they, they do have a glorious tradition and a glorious fighting history and a glorious history, and there's no disputing it. Uh, They are simply a fantastic organization, Uh, always have been, always will be. I'm I'm sure they'll keep all the traditions that make the Corps one of the premier fighting organizations, not just in the United States Armed Forces,
3: but in the world.
2: And no doubt a lot of this stuff has rubbed off on Doc Jones. But despite all that, and notwithstanding all I just got to saying, I really appreciate the fact that he's willing to trust his show to an old doggy enlisted swine like me. And so, therefore, I, I say all that to say this, that I am grateful for the opportunity. Doc, I hope you're enjoying your vacation. Wherever you may be, I hope you're really having a good time because tonight we're going to talk about another Army dog soldier, but this one ain't no Audie Murphy. This one ain't no Alvin C. York. This one ain't no Chris Kyle. This one ain't no Chesty Puller. This one ain't even one who just did his duty. Uh, and did what was expected of him as a member of the United States Armed Forces. No, this is a man who has now been charged by the United States Army after an Article 32 hearing with uh, two principal violations, uh, desertion and misbehavior in the face of the enemy, both of which are capital crimes, which meaning uh, a, a general court-martial, which is the highest type of court-martial you can receive, uh a general court-martial can... Uh, impose a, a penalty either death or other such punishment as a court-martial may direct in accordance with the articles of the Uniform Code of Military Justice. And he's being charged with two of the most serious, uh, as I said, and and two of them are um, desertion and uh, misbehavior in the face of the enemy. Uh, this is a big deal, folks. Uh, and, you know, it really is a big deal. like to discuss some of the particulars of this. And if if you read the show description, you will see what I say about this particular soldier, uh, the Sergeant Bo Bergdahl. He is Obama's kind of a fighting man. Now, what do I mean by Obama's kind of fighting man? Well, let's see what Obama's kind of fighting man might be. Well, Sergeant Bergdahl made some comments, uh, apparently, at least according to to his platoon mates, and the comments he made uh, to his platoon mates were of um, uh, 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 this sort of thing: uh, that life is way too short to care for the damnation of others, as well as spend it helping fools with their ideas that are wrong. I have seen their ideas, and I am ashamed to even be American. The system is wrong. I am ashamed to be an American. And the title of a United States soldier is just the lie of fools. The United States Army is the biggest joke the world has to laugh at. It is the army of liars, backstabbers, fools and bullies. I am sorry for everything. The horror that American is is disgusting. Now um now when when when, when uh a uh, bo Bojar apparently got this I think he sent this in a form of emails to his father. And his father, uh, who was received, by the way, along with uh, doll's mother, uh, Barack Obama Jr., Barack Hussein Obama, in a Rose Garden ceremony that was greeted with great fanfare. Uh, you know, the in the, uh, uh, the Obama administration was quite proud of having secured the release of this uh, soldier. However, he came to be missing, and of course, that will be part uh, part and parcel for the court martial if should the. Article 32 hearings, we'll discuss what an Article 32 hearing is in a moment, should they decide this case should go to a general court martial We will then discover how it is, apparently, that this man came to be missing. But after he was missing, um, uh, apparently, Bergdahl replied, obey your conscience. And so, Bergdahl, having decided that his deployment in Afghanistan was lame, apparently walked off into the mountains toward Pakistan. Now, if, in fact, he did that, that would be treason and desertion and all the rest of it. But, but, there's more. You see, in the United States Armed Forces today, they really don't like to leave members of the Armed force, no matter who they are, no matter who they are, behind on the battlefield for the enemy to mutilate and disrupt, particularly in Afghanistan, because I don't know if you're familiar with, with that uh, uh, little couplet that uh, Rudyard Kipling wrote about service there and his advice to soldiers of the uh, 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 British Army who were wounded and left for dead on Afghanistan flames and weren't dead. He said that when the women come out to cut up your remains, roll to your soldier and blow out your brains and go to your God like a soldier. And believe me, today it ain't much different there. Uh, And and, and even though uh, I I suspect a lot of his platoon mates and people in his company didn't dig him all that much, uh, he was still an American soldier. Uh, uh, His outfit was given orders to attempt to recover him. And given the fact that American soldiers tend to obey their orders, particularly when a comrade is missing, even if it's a guy as odious as apparently this guy Bergdahl was, they're going to go out there and they're going to try to get him back. Now, in the process of this endeavor, You know, these soldiers who would not break faith with their fellow soldier, six of them were killed. And I posted their picture in the Flash Player. And you can look at their pictures if you have access to the chat room. They are, by name, Staff Sergeant Michael Murphy, Private First Class Morris Walker, Staff Sergeant Clayton Bowen, Private First Class Matthew Martinek, Second Lieutenant Darren Andrews, and Staff Sergeant Kurt Curtis. So these six fine American soldiers doing their duty died in the search and searches for uh, um, uh, Bo Bergdahl. They died. I mean, it's not like, you know, he's just gone. And, you know, and, and perhaps he has broken faith with his fellows. No, no. Six men, six soldiers died, died in the process of looking for him. So I submit that to you for your consideration. As you consider what should be done with this man, should these charges be true. And now on top of that, uh, in order to secure his release, uh, five top Taliban deserters were, not deserters, but commanders. Uh, uh, higher ups, high muckety mucks in the Taliban. Uh, they were Mohammed Fazl, the former Taliban Army Chief of Staff. Excuse my pronunciation of these names. I'm not sure if I have them correct, but I do not pretend to be eloquent with the Arabic tongue. Uh, Karula Karikawa, a Taliban intelligence official. Abdul Haq Wasik, a former Taliban government official. Norula Nuri, and Mohammed Nabj Amari. Uh, And at least apparently three of these folks have attempted to reconnect with their old comrades and get back in the fight. Now, I, I would suggest to you, uh, there was a gentleman, or rather a soldier, in the United States Army during World War II. Uh, and some of you may be familiar about him. Robert William Bradford Huey wrote a rather famous book. I believe it was either won the Pulitzer Prize or was nominated for the Pulitzer Prize, Execution of Private Slovak. Now, Eddie D. Slovic was the only soldier in the United States Armed Forces, not just the Army. And he was, of course, a uh, member of the Army. But he was a uh, a soldier who was executed for desertion uh, during World War II, the latter stage of World War II the, after the invasion of Northwest Europe. And uh, he was executed. Well, now, now, he didn't desert to the German army. <laughs> no. That, that, let's understand it now. He didn't go seek out the Germans. He just didn't want to go back into combat. So he took off, and uh, along with another guy who apparently got separated from his unit. They were wandering around with a Canadian, I believe a Canadian unit for a few weeks until uh, the Canadians reported to the American Army that they had a couple of their soldiers, and they wanted to know when and where they could be returned to the unit. And uh, uh, one of the soldiers, you know, he was told, well, you know, you got to come back. We're not going to charge you with AWOL or desert or anything like that, provided you go back to your unit and prepare to do your duty. Now one of the soldiers that was with, Eddie Slovak agreed to, but Slovak he refused. Oh hell no, I'm not going back out. There. I might get killed. And he even wrote a letter to Dwight D Eisenhower saying he wasn't going back out there no matter what. He just wouldn't go. So he was court-martialed. Now you got to understand, there were thousands of people court-martialed during World War II, hundreds at least, certainly thousands for desertion to face the enemy and um, and, and and which carried a death penalty. Many of them were sentenced to death. Uh, several dozen were sentenced to death, but all of them had their sentences the commuted because. For one thing, you know they weren't—they're not big in the American Army on executing people for purely military offenses. That just ain't something the United States Army does very often. But but none of them wrote a letter saying they would not return to duty. Slovic did, and he wrote it to Dwight D. Eisenhower, Command Supreme Commander of Allied Forces in Europe. So you got to remember now, at the time he did this, and the time Slovic was court-martialed, even though he committed his offense just after the Normandy invasion, when he when he. Committed his defense, the United States Army just got through fighting in the Battle of the Hercan Forest. Now I don't know if any of you guys know what the Battle of the Hercan Forest was, but the casualties were horrendous. They needed infantry replacements so bad, you wouldn't believe. I mean, four American divisions were chewed to pieces in a nightmarish wood forest of like out of elves and whatnot. I mean, it's terrible. It's terrible casualties. And they needed infantry replacements, and they wanted to make an example of Slovic. Look, this might happen if you don't show up for duty. So he got executed. He had the bad luck to get executed because of the circumstance and the fact that he was dumb enough to write a letter. Well, Bergdahl wrote letters too, emails, talking about his intention to get the hell out of Dodge, and even go over to the enemy, which Slovic never did. Slovic never, never, never uh, seemed to indicate any sort of um, inclination. To go over to the enemy and, and releasing five top Taliban commanders for an American deserter would be akin, I guess, to releasing, oh, say, if the United States Army had had uh, Erwin Rommel captured or Erich von Manstein or Heinz Guderian or Walter Model or Hassel von Manteuffel, Say so they had those five top German generals and they say, well, we're going to trade them for Eddie D. Slovak. Uh, I don't think it would have been done. Even though I'm going to say this now unequivocally. Now I want this to be unequivocally understood. Unequivocally understood. Uh, the United States government and particularly the United States Army has every duty to recover every American soldier deploys if they're missing. They must do all they can to get them back. Even Bo Bergdahl. Now you get him back, you make him face the music for his military offenses. But nonetheless, they're obligated to try to get him back. However, they're supposed to do everything that is reasonable to get him back. And, and, I, and again, let me make this clear. They have every obligation to attempt to get the man back, even if he's a deserter. It's not reasonable, in my opinion, and I think in most people with common sense, to turn over Five top commanders of the Taliban, which is not even a country, because after a prison war, exchanges are common between nations. But we're talking terrorists here who do not answer to a government, unlike, you know, the German field marshals I just spoke to, who, after all, were uniform members of an enemy armed force, a sovereign nation, basically, in the case of most of them, with some exception, particularly Rommel, carrying out their duties within the boundaries of the laws of war. Okay, so if they, even then, it's not comparable, really. It's not comparable at all. But we this is the kind of president we got, though. See, he doesn't understand or appreciate any of this stuff. This is a guy who actually said, you know, before he was elected president during his campaign, that w- when he was talking about Iraq and the conduct of American soldiers in Iraq and in, in, in fighting This insane, fanatical, radical Islamist, Islamo-fascist enemy. He said that American soldiers had no business air raiding into villages, destroying villages, and killing civilians. As far as he's concerned, that's essentially all the United States Armed Forces really does. That's all they really do. They just air raid villages and kill civilians. There's nothing really you you can say uh, about American soldiers. That is worthwhile. They just yeah, raiding because this is Barack Obama's idea of uh, uh, of the the people that he is the commander in chief of. It's quite it's quite incredible, but this is what we're dealing with here with this guy. This is our kind of president, and I that's why I, I put the title here: uh, Bo Bergdahl, uh, Barack Obama's kind of fighting man." His kind of fighting man is an old. Sergeant First Class Paul Smith who got the Medal of Honor uh for in the opening phases of um, uh, Iraqi Freedom for a battle around Kangor Airport an incredible feat of heroism comparable to Artie Murphy's during World War II or um or um uh uh uh, uh Second Lieutenant uh, uh Michael Murphy was his actions heroic actions with detail and lone survivor uh that movie uh Marcus based on Marcus Luttrell's book that starred um, oh, oh, Marky Mark, Mark Wahlberg, yeah, uh, or, or or Chris Kyle even. No, 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 no. We're not talking about uh, uh, that that kind of guy here. We're talking about a Bo Bergdahl an Eddie Slovak who deserts to the enemy, unlike Eddie Slobick, who didn't even desert to the enemy. He just didn't want to go back and get killed because he probably shouldn't have even been in the army in the first place. But they needed infantrymen in 1944, 45, and they was getting every swing and they'd get their hands on. That's just the way it was. It wasn't fair to him. It wasn't fair to a lot of people, but that's the way it was. So, um, you know, uh, I, I look, I, I look. Uh, this whole thing was disgraceful. Um, uh, let's look at what the Obama administration was saying as they clapped themselves on the back.
3: Um,
2: um, you know, when, when they got this guy back home, a uh, 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 Susan Rice, <laughs> I think she's Barack Obama's national security advisor or whatever, or White House counsel or whatever the hell she is. She said that Bo Bergdahl served with honor and distinction. Yeah, When she was making the media rounds to make the case for Obama swap of five top Taliban commanders for Bergdahl, she said, and this is coming back to haunt her and her stupid ass and this idiotic, corrupt, malevolently evil administration, that Bo Bergdahl served with honor and distinction. With honor and distinction. How often does this, this 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 administration just take it off the top of its head when there ain't a medal ceremony that they're pretty much obligated to do? And by the way, if I ever had been uh, recommended for the Medal of Honor, if I ever did something uh, of worthy of the caliber of the medal, being a re- considered as a recipient for the Medal of Honor, when I was in combat or in the army, and um uh I, and Barack Obama would have been the president, I would have refused it until he was out, and I wouldn't care what they did to me. I wouldn't let him put it on me. I'd say like, give it somebody else. Give it to one of the guys my mates maybe took a bullet from me that enabled me to do what I had to do to get in the middle of the war. Give it to him because I ain't taking it from this guy. I swear I would have said that. And if I get court martialed for it, fine. Let him do it. I mean, I, I've never seen a more odious administration with anybody who's tends to be commander-in-chief of the United States Armed Forces and have such utter contempt for the man he commands. Who are putting their lives on the line at his command? I've never seen the the, the casualties in Afghanistan under his presidency are like five to six hundred percent over what they were during the Bush administration. Five to six hundred percent or something like this—it's it's, it's, they just casualties skyrocketed under the Obama state with these ridiculous rules of engagement that they're operating under. Utterly absurd. Utterly absurd. Now guys, I'm going to need some help. I'm going to need you guys out there. You got to help me off the ledge here. I'm really going to need some help. I'm going to really beg of you to call into the show at um uh uh 347 um, uh, I'm I'm yeah, yeah uh I'm sorry. 877 seven, uh 6669305. Please call in to the show and give me a hand here. Because you know, I I I need somebody to kind of talk me off the ledge. Because the more I talk about this, and the more I think about this, the more upset I'm getting. I mean, I'm getting. I mean, it's just it's just it is beyond belief to me, to me, that 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 Barack Obama had a photo opportunity, not only with his parents, because his parent, his dad in particular, ain't too keen on the American war effort. There, you know, I mean, it's not as though um, you, you had to disrespect the man. Or anything, but yet, did you have to have a photo op in the Rose Garden? You just have a public press release saying, okay, the United States made a deal to get a soldier back from Afghanistan who was missing and possibly was being held by the Taliban. You didn't have to go in any detail, see, but when you're an idiot, like an imbecile, like Barack Obama, an anti American, essentially Muslim, at least he's a political Muslim. He ain't a religious Muslim. He's a political Muslim. When you're a political Muslim Muslim enemy like Obama, and everybody really knows what time it is with this guy. And know, this guy hates this country. He hates this war effort. He hates the fact that the United States is interfering in the affairs of the Middle East and doing more... In the back of his mind, is what he really thinks, you know, no matter what he's doing publicly. You know, you know. And everybody knows he knows it. So he thinks... He can glom onto some positive publicity. Uh, you know, by by, by gloming on to the uh, a Bergdahl situation and uh, uh it it'll do him some good politically, I guess. I mean he is so out of tune with the American people. So out of tune with the American people, so at odds with American tradition, so at odds with every principle this country was founded on. And when when is that war? He simply cannot understand why his his actions aren't more lauded by the American people. He really, probably in his mind, just can't conceive as to how the American people just aren't completely on board with this guy. He's utterly clueless. He thinks I mean, when you're a solipsist like he is, and the word you know, when you're just utterly absorbed thinking everyone shares your viewpoint. Yeah, uh, I, I am in the center of the universe, like he is a narcissistic solipsist. Well, this is the kind of thing you tend to believe, and uh, in his case, there is no doubt in my mind that he believes just that. No doubt in my mind that that that's what he believes. So, so guys, um, you know, uh, help me out here. I, I want some of you to, to to call into me and tell me if I if I've got this thing right. Now. Tell me if I'm off base. Tell me if I'm maybe being a little bit too harsh on the usurper uh, uh, or the president. Really. Because if I am, after all, I, I'd like to retract it. I mean, I, w- I wouldn't like to, anyone to consider me as being unfair to Barack Obama just because he, well, just be unfair. Call in at area code 347 884 8500. I'd particularly like to hear from people who don't agree with me. I'd really like to hear from them. I'd really like to hear from people who don't agree with me. If you don't agree with me, I really would like to hear from you, because I'd like to know why you don't agree with me. I'd like to know what it is you think about uh, uh, this gentleman um, um, that required a press conference where the Obama administration had to crow. I mean, crow like you know, I, I guess kind of like the rooster crowing, maybe thinking he made the sunrise. So he's got to get up there and really rev up the pitch, rev up the volume. They had to really amp it up and tell us, "Hey, hey, yeah, well, 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 we got an American soldier back from the Taliban, and all we had to do was give him five top commanders out of Gitmo." Aren't you proud of us? Kind of like a kid, a little kid, you know, a two-year-old kid, does Dookie in the corner, you know, and and he's so proud of what he did in the corner. He's just got to run over him, grab his parents, pull him back over, and say, "Oh, look what I did! What did I do?" You know, I mean what possible justification could they have for saying uh, uh what they've done I I I I'd really like to know I like I really like someone to explain to me uh, how it to be that way let's let's go on with a little bit more um um uh that this whole thing entails that that um um Barack Obama did. I guess he. I, I guess initially he did treat um, um, Bo Bergdahl better than uh, United States veterans at the Veterans Administration Hospital. So, I mean, I guess maybe you could say that might be good about something that he did. He was nicer to Bo Bergdahl than he's been to U.S. veterans who've honestly, honorably served the country. So anyway, uh, but he is he uh, – Susan Rice to come up with some optics to make everything look a little bit better. So we saw our our great leader, our beloved leader, uh, after his great effort, uh, his great personal sacrifices, uh, you know, he moved the kind of mountains that come to Muhammad, you know, to make sure that no man was left behind. And, of course, uh, this is, of course, the kind of actions in the highest tradition of the United States Armed Forces. Yes, sir. Uh, Although, well, you know, he didn't want to let us know too much that... You know, uh, 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 the guy who was left behind uh, was actually the man who walked away from his post and joined the enemy. But the guys who did get left behind, I would like to remind you again, were Staff Sergeant Michael Murphy, Private First Class Morris Walker, Staff Sergeant Clayton Bowen, Private First Class Matthew Martinick, Second Lieutenant Darren Andrews, and Staff Sergeant Kurt Curtis. They really got left behind with enemy steel in their bodies that killed them looking for this guy. And one guy, I think Staff Sergeant, I think his last name is West, he was paralyzed uh, permanently. He see brain damage that is going to leave him permanently. Uh, uh, not quite a vegetable. I believe his cognitive functions are okay. But he has absolutely no bodily control to speak of whatsoever anymore. So, um... You know, uh, you know, they were killed because even though they might have thought the deployment was lame, like Bergdahl said, but they did their duty to their unit, to their fellow soldiers, to their army, to their country, even to their fake-ass usurper president. They did their duty. So, so guys, uh, again, I'd like to know if maybe I'm, I'm I'm off base here. I'd like to know if my and and really uh, agree. Disagree, whatever. Uh, please give me a call and give me some help because you know I'm 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 I, I, I'm just I'm just at a loss now. Right now, I'm at a loss to know what to say uh, about a situation like this. I mean, and and I've even heard tell, uh, and I cannot verify this with certainty. I am not claiming this is in fact the case. I've heard tell that the Obama administration is, as we speak. Um, exerting what is called undue command influence on the court-martial proceedings in this event, trying to influence them, the Article 32 hearing, not to return charges and recommending, recommendation of a general court-martial for Bo Bergdahl. Now, theoretically, well, not theoretically, but actually, being the commander-in-chief, Obama could step in and order the military chain of command not to court-martial Bo Bergdahl. He could do that. However, were he to do that, I don't know. Even this supine Congress might see that as a political death sentence because that's just unheard of. Presidents are not supposed to insert themselves into the chain of command at this level. In fact, the convening court-martial authority is usually held at division or maybe army level, dependent upon, and whoever the convening court-martial authority is recommending charges, it's supposed to stay there. Hell, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff or the uh, 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 service chief, a uh, civilian service chief, secretary of the army, secretary of the navy, uh, sec, uh, sec, you know, secretary of the air force, whoever they're they're not supposed to intervene. The uh, uh, you know the, the top level commander, the uh, 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 you know what's his name, uh, Dempsey of the army, he wouldn't, he's not supposed to interfere in that. It's supposed to be left to the convening authority. Anything else is undue command influence. But if Obama is in fact doing that. That would be all of a piece. It would be consistent with a man who doesn't believe the Constitution imposes any restraints on him, at least with regard to enforcing the laws he took an oath to do under the Constitution, Article 2 of the Constitution, meaning he's supposed to faithfully execute the law instead of making up his own. But we've already seen that's what he does. He makes up his own law, particularly, as I said, in regard to immigration. He's doing just that. I suppose it wouldn't be inconsistent or inconceivable that he would choose to insert himself in the court-martial process. So, uh, you know, there were there were some people in Congress who had something uh, significant to say, but not all of them are completely supine and feckless and ineffectual and prostrate before the emperor. Uh, Senator Roger Wicker, who is a member of the Armed Forces Armed Services Committee, Uh, uh, Republican Massachusetts, was asked by a reporter whether the charges raised doubts about the initial trade of Bergdahl for the Taliban members. And Senator Wicker said, I would think it would raise doubts in the mind of the average American if those doubts weren't raised already. This proves once again that the president's political motivations for closing Guantanamo Bay are causing him to make reckless decisions and will put more American lives at risk. Uh now this is what uh, House Homeland Security uh committee chairman Michael McCall, a Republican of Texas, said uh in a statement. Uh General Mark Miley, head of the United States Army Forces Command at uh Fort Bragg, is the one who's re- reviewing the massive case files and the range of legal legal options and uh I imagine um um he has considered that it is likely they can the Army can prove that Bergdahl left with no intention of returning to his unit. So uh, let's see. What else did uh, uh, Michael, uh will be rather, Paul Bergdahl write? Well, this is another thing he wrote. Um, and this is what, uh, and according to uh, uh, a Rolling Stone reporter named Michael Hastings, who I think he died relatively recently, he said, The future is too good to waste on lies, and life is way too short to care for the damnation of others, as well as suspended helping fools with their ideas that are wrong. I've seen their ideas, and I'm ashamed to even be American. I mean, listen to that again. I mean, just, just got to read that again because it's just... I, I don't even know any soldiers in Vietnam. The guys I went to Vietnam, even though they hated being in Vietnam, and, and a lot of them hated the Army and everything, I don't think any of them would have written anything like this. I mean, most of them I know that were in there. I mean, they said, okay, maybe I don't want to be in Vietnam. Maybe I don't want to be here. Maybe I hate the Army. I hate lifers, but... You know what? I don't want us to lose in Vietnam. This guy sounds like somebody wanted his uh, army to lose. <sighs> God. uh Now, uh, when the trade was made, uh, Defense Secretary Chuck Hagel, the former Secretary of Defense, said that Bergdahl was a prisoner of war. And the deal that was made didn't amount to negotiating with terrorists that it wasn't negotiated with theirs, even though five of them got set free. Um and he said that Bergdahl's deteriorating physical condition made it imperative the United States to make the trade uh for Bo Bergdahl. Well, la Dah. Uh and, and 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 they had to uh, uh let him in. But look folks, I I I I need some help here. I need some help here. Uh I think I got a caller on the line on seven six three who maybe can help me uh, uh, understand this, even though I actually understand this, but my mind is shutting down. It's just inconceivable to me that this has happened, even though I know it has. And I really know why it happened, because I know what Obama is. I've known about this guy since 1994 when he was my state senator, when I used to live in Chicago, Illinois, and he was my state senator. And I know how corrupt, malevolent, utterly anti-American and evil a guy is. And and I, I guess it's all inconceivable, because I'm trying to understand how the hell the American people could elect this clown twice. But anyway, they did. So, look, 763, um, whomever you are, please uh, uh, help me out here. I need some help badly, sir, or ma'am, whoever you are.
3: Hey, sergeant Holger.
2: Oh, Holger, you really can help me out with this. Thank I you a for calling me. I got to talk you off the ledge, man. Man, you do. You do, because I'm in trouble. I mean, you know, I mean, Doc ain't here. I'm here all by myself. You know, I'm looking at the Looney Tune, Looney Ben, that this Obama administration is, and these crazy progressives and liberals, and all these (laughs) anti-war people, and all the things they've said. For me, it's just uh, too much, too much. Help me out, man. What do you got to say about all this?
3: You know, obviously you're you're spot on here, but I, I wanted to just mention that, you know, for a number of years, much of America was clamoring, begging, pleading for someone like Barack Hussein Obama, to release Lieutenant Michael Bahanna from Leavenworth Prison.
2: Oh, thank and, you, sir, for and, reminding me of that. I had forgotten. And, Please proceed. And
3: now Michael Bahana of course, is out now, but bottom line is uh, Barack Obama had years and years to make that decision to release that hero from Leavenworth Prison. But no, he wouldn't release him, but in one fell swoop he releases five of the worst terrorists that we've had in captivity since the start of the Afghanistan war and uh you know it just that just shows you the mindset and and the other thing i i would say is this is that, you know this is the white house this is the presidential administration these guys have got more data than anybody in the world i mean they can they can vet somebody You know they're going to know a hundred times more about something than any any other entity in this country. So they knew everything about Bo Bergdahl. They knew exactly why he walked off that base. They know exactly what happened. They knew the reports from all of his from his. from all the troops there and so forth they got the they I'm sure they had every piece of evidence that came from the command there and so forth and so on they 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 knew that this guy was a deserter and this was this was obama's way of saying okay this is this is the way I treat the military this is the way I see the military a deserter doesn't really mean that much you know in in barack obama's world quitters win you know, when I grew up, it was quitters never win, but in Barack Obama's world, quitters win. You know, if you don't like your job, just walk out and the government will take care of you. And uh, so this, this was more, quite frankly, I think this was partly him paying off some favors to the to the Islamic world. And secondly, I think this was just another way for him to humiliate the military of this country.
2: Yeah, uh, I think it's safe to say that uh, everything Barack Obama does is uh, – uh, I'll tell you what. In fact, let's listen listen to this guy in his own words. Let's listen to what Barack Obama said. He act, Now, he said this now, because I, I clearly you'll notice his voice. This is what he said. Here, let's listen to Mr. Uh, Barack Hussein Obama. <laughs> I mean, I, I can't get enough that mellifluous, uh, a, a wonderful – broadcaster voice he's got. Listen to the guy.
1: Uh, Us rushing headlong into a war unilaterally uh, was a mistake and may still be a mistake. If it has happened, then at that point what the debate's really going to be about is what's our long-term commitment there? How much is it going to cost? What does it mean for us to rebuild Iraq? How do we stabilize and and make sure that this country doesn't splinter into factions between the Shias and and the Kurds and uh, the Sunnis? (laughs)
2: <laughs> He's killing me. Well, hey, Eddie Killer, man. Now, remember, remember what
1: did the guy say when the... Uh, uh, I've looked uh, at the evidence. I'm a hawk when it comes to defeating terrorism. I was strongly supportive of Afghanistan. I would have picked up arms myself to prevent 9-11 again. I don't think the president has made the case on Iraq because I don't see what... I, before, before, I said this before October sorry. of 20... Uh, October of uh, 2002. Uh, six months before the war was launched, but if you had been a member of the Senate, you would have voted against the resolution. Yes. And I also, and, and this raises a, a broader issue of of the Democratic Party. I think it's important for us to stand our ground and and take our licks, rather than what sometimes is our habit, which is to cave, and then whine about it afterwards, which makes us not only look weak but also petty. It sure does. Yeah. That's Most of you know that I opposed this war from the start. I thought it was a tragic mistake. Today we grieve for the families who have lost loved ones, the hearts that have been broken, and the young lives that could have been. America, it is time to start bringing our troops home. It's time, it's time to admit that no amount of American lives can resolve the political disagreement that lies at the heart of someone else's civil war. That's why I have a plan that will bring our combat troops home by March of two thousand and eight. Let the Iraqis know. Letting the Iraqis know that we will not be there forever is our last best hope the pressure the Sunni and Shia to come to the table and find peace. And there's one other thing that it's not too late to get.
2: Wow, wow. I mean, the more you hear, well, I mean, well, you know, I, I guess the only thing you can really say, uh, a Holder, is, well, 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 check this out. Listen to what he said on this occasion. Here we go, this. Uh, us what rushing
1: headlong into a war unilaterally uh, was a mistake and may still be a mistake. If it has happened, then at that point what the debate's really going to be about is what's our long-term commitment there? How much is it going to cost? What does it mean for us to rebuild Iraq? How do we
2: stabilize? You know what? When this whole thing started with ISIS and they began to be uh, surging in the region, what did he say famously? Of course, you know, the mainstream brother doesn't like uh, anybody remind us of this, but he said, they're just the junior varsity. There's nothing to be concerned about. Do you remember that, Holger? Oh, yeah. His word junior varsity was the term he used. They're nothing to be concerned about. They're just the JV team.
3: Yeah.
2: Oh, oh man. He's, that's your he's al- he's the, also the one that, Barack-
3: He's also the one that said we had Al Qaeda on their heels and they were they weren't a factor anymore and and uh I mean that's probably wishful thinking that we'll we'll buy into that, you know, that you know, buy into that. And, and quite frankly, if you look at, you know, Obama's approach to ISIS, uh, he probably still views them as a, as a JV. He's kind of fighting them like you'd fight a JV team, isn't he?
2: No, they're his allies, sir. They are his allies. Yeah. <laughs> they're his unstated, <laughs> unadmitted allies. You don't hurt yep. your allies. Yep. You cover for your allies. Why do you think it was that he thought it was safe to come out uh, from behind cover and attack? Um, um, uh, Gaddafi in Libya Now Gaddafi had been A sponsor of terror He had committed major terrorist uh, uh, Actions or sponsored them Or been behind them The flight 103 over Lockerbie But he had reformed After Reagan and Bush Put the fear of God in the guy He had reformed And he was now a reliable Reasonably reliable Given that he was an Arab He was a reasonably reliable ally in the war against terror. He was actively cooperating. But when rebels decided they wanted to oust him, what did Obama do? He essentially aided their effort. Islamist, fundamentalist, Muslim brotherhood Islamists. And he aided their efforts against Gaddafi and helped them to murder him. For once in my life, I was able to actually agree with Louis Farrakhan, when Louis Farrakhan was really pissed about Qaddafi, uh, because Qaddafi had given the nation Islam a whole bunch of dough over the years. Yeah, yeah. And, and Farrakhan was highly pissed about that when he said, we got a murderer in the White House. I mean, he was, uh, <laughs> he was apoplectic about what uh, uh, Obama allowed to ensue. I mean, he was truly pissed. And, and he said it, and he was, for once stop clock theory, he was absolutely correct. He didn't have that. They did assist in that man's murder. The man was yep. an ally. He was cooperating. He had, by treaty, renounced his ties to terrorism formally.
3: Yeah, yeah. Well, do you re- do you remember, Sarge, when 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 Barack Obama made the case for committing, uh, unilaterally, by the way, committing, uh, you know, American troops into the war on Libya? When, when he committed our troops through the NATO effort, he his reasoning for doing that was because of the threat, the threat to civilian lives in Libya. Okay, yeah. so Oh, there was some and, and,
2: stupid name so, for So that just too. let you me, let me that finish that
3: point. Is, is he was? said there was a threat to those Libyan lives. But then when ISIS had racked up about their 20,000th dead civilian had been beheading Christians, have been crucifying Christians, he still wouldn't commit to that effort against the uh, the likes of ISIS. So on one hand, he's willing to commit troops in a war effort against Libya because there was a threat. No civilians have been killed yet. The threat was there that they could be killed. And here in ISIS, we already had documented proof of Thousands and thousands slaughtered by these guys, but yet
2: he wouldn't commit anything. Well, does uh, well? Of course not. Uh, I, I, I mean, you know, look, hold When you and I say things to say about Obama, many of those who pretend to be quote balanced unquote are simply incredulous that we could actually believe we have a man in charge of the executive branch of the federal government who gives aid and comfort. To enemies of the United States. But I would submit to you, that is exactly the case. He is doing it now with Iran. Remember when he said, what did he say about Iran before? Again, we got his own words. I need to get uh, the the audio clip. I wish I had it. I I was looking for it. I couldn't find it. But he said, like you said with ISIS being JV, Iran is a tiny country. Yep. There's no need to be afraid of it because it's a tiny country. You know, and, and I guess uh, by the same token, I mean, you know, Germany was is a tiny, I mean, what's the size of the state of Man, Minnesota or Montana? Roughly it's about the geographical size of Germany. I mean, there was no need to be upset about Germany just because they declare war in the United States. What? Well, they've got a tiny country compared to the United States. I mean, come on. What are you getting excited about? I mean, I, you know, I, I guess in his mind... This sort of uh, I'm high on a hookah, sort of frat boy, leftist frat boy college reasoning passes for sophistry. But not in the real world where things real, well, where, um, real world relations matter, history, logic, fact, and national security interests matter. But it sounds good if you're high all the time on a, on a hookah and you happen to be a closeted Muslim. And yep. anti-American, and be sitting in Reverend, My, Reverend Jeremiah's rights church for years and years, claiming being uh, influenced by lectures you claim you never heard. Yeah.
3: Well, I'll tell you what, Serge. I got I got to jump off here, but I'll just I'll just leave you with this: that you know, when this when this country was founded, the founders uh, that that wrote the Constitution and founded our country, you know, they they decided that you know if if someone was going to be president of this country and, and and their father wasn't even a citizen of this country their loyalties could be suspect so um i think barack obama is a perfect example of exactly why they wrote things the way they did mm-hmm. because barack obama's father was not an american he was not a citizen and from everything I've been able to see ever since then, he's followed the loyalties of his father from both the Muslim point of view and from the anti-American point of view since uh, since he took office. So there's that. Yeah. Thanks, Thanks, yeah. Sarge, for letting me call in. Doing a great job tonight.
2: Hey, I'll do the best I can. Like I said, I owe it to uh, uh, Doc Jones' fine audience, who are dedicated yeah. to his uh, uh, great stewardship of this show. And yeah. uh, I enjoy it hugely when I get an opportunity to listen. And uh, I'm grateful that he gave me the opportunity to um, host for him today and uh, give my point of view, which I suspect largely uh, coincides with his. And thanks for the call, uh, Holger. You bet. And All right, uh, what you said thanks, is, is very – okay, bye-bye. You bet. Uh, good, See you later. Good talking to you. But what Holger said is absolutely vital to understand. The purpose of Article 2, Section 1, Clause 5 of the United States Constitution, the reason the framers in their infinite wisdom put it there, of course, the living, breathing embodiment and personification of that wisdom is one Barack Hussein Obama. (laughs) He is the reason clause in there, and it was, and listen carefully, to prevent or to minimize the likelihood of undue foreign influence on the office of the presidency, particularly from a father owing allegiance to a foreign sovereignty, and particularly, even though it didn't exist at the time the framers wrote it, one with Marxist sensibilities. Barack Hussein Obama uh, Sr. was a stone-cold, utter, complete Marxist, as was his grandfather, who uh, uh, had the boy thoroughly imbued and indoctrinated with Marxist anti-American principles, probably from the time he could reason. This is all this guy. He swallowed it with his drinking water and his baby food. Anti-American. His mother was a nutcase beatnik, running him around the world, abandoning him to uh, with his grandparents. Uh, uh, and 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 and, and as he wrote himself in his very own autobiography? Dreams from my father. He even said his mother creeped him out. His very own mother creeped him out. Why? Did his mother creep him out? Because he didn't like her undue fascination with, as he put it, for dark-skinned men. This caused him to be creeped out. He thought his mother was creepy, and he wrote about it in his book. This guy is a veritable hotbed of neuroses and psychoses. And anybody who had read his books would have known that if they'd just taken the time to read them. Much as everyone should have known the kind of basket case that Adolf Hitler was if you had taken the time to read Mein Kampf in 1935 before heavy-duty German rearmament started. You would have known what kind of a nutcase Adolf Hitler was. Well, just read um, A Dreams of My Father and to a lesser extent The Audacity of Hope. And you know, this guy is weird to say nothing of his leftist viewpoint, but just on the face of it, he is weird He's a neurotic. He's got innumerable psychoses. The worst of which are his antipathy for his adopted country. I just don't believe this guy's a citizen. I don't believe he's a citizen. Look, I cannot know where he was from until I see a legitimate birth certificate. I know what he gave us is a forgery. I know. I know that's in the topic of the show tonight. But there is no dispute that what he's put on the White House website to be downloaded is indisputably a forgery on innumerable points of proof it is a forgery so if you submit identity doc to me an identity document is forged along with your ford selective service registration and your multiple social security including the one you're using right now that was never issued to you i'm going to wonder who you are or where you came from this is natural and normal and i think most people with reason should also feel the same way who is this guy And who sent him? (sighs) Heaven help this country. God bless this country. And again, folks, I'd like to thank all of you out there for tuning in tonight. It's been a ball and a great slice to have you here. Oh, we're just about ready to wrap it up now. Uh, With that, I would like again to uh, have you listen to a few... Uh, the favorite saying is of my liberals. It's kind of the theme song that the show came came in on. I like to hear it again because I think it's worth listening to. You know Hillary Clinton, uh, Larry Grantwall, who's an undercover agent, infiltrated the Weather Underground. Um, Maxine Waters is my favorite imbecile in the uh, Congressional Black Caucus of the United States House of Representatives. And uh, I like to listen to people again. Just take a, take a quick listen. It's worth a listen. Listen up.
1: Reported the highest profits in the history of the world.
2: I want to take those profits.
1: And guess what this liberal would be all about? This liberal would be all about socializing, uh, um, would be about basically taking over and the government running all of your companies. Uh, to that extent, as radical as I think people try to characterize the Warren uh, It wasn't that right. It it didn't break free from the essential constraints that were placed uh, uh, by the founding fathers in the Constitution. In one of the, uh, I think, uh, the tragedies of the Civil Rights Movement, uh, I think that there was a tendency to lose track of the political and community organizing and, and activities on the ground that are able to put together the actual coalitions of power through which you bring about redistributive uh, change. They've got a chance to success, too. I think when you spread the wealth around, it's
0: good for it. I brought up the subject of what's going to happen after we take over the government. Uh, you know, we, we become responsible then for administrating, you know, 250 million people. I ask, well, what is going to happen to those people that we can't re-educate, that are diehard capitalists, And the reply was that they'd have to be eliminated. And when I pursued this further, they estimated that they would have to eliminate 25 million people in these re-education centers. And when I say eliminate, I mean kill. 25 million people. I want you to imagine sitting in a room with 25 people, most of which have graduate degrees from Columbia and other well-known educational centers and hear them figuring out the logistics for the elimination of 25 million people and they were dead serious